You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, all of a sudden, he found himself in love with the world. So there was only one thing that he could do, and that was ding-a-ling-dang, his dang-along-ling-long. It's Mr. <laughs> Jeff McLeod-Huge. That sounds exactly like what I did. I played with my ding-a-ling-dang, my dang-along, my ding-a-ling. Yep, we're going to get demonetized for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's money involved no, in this? No, of course not. No. I was like, Phew. I'm already demonetized. So what's up? What's going on? How are you? Oh, I'm good. Hey, I started fooling around with like an AI art generating piece oh, of software that you too? came to me via email today. Yeah, it was. it's the one called Bard. And I okay. got a mail that says like, hey, it can now generate images. I have been cackling like a dum-dum for yep. the last, well, previous hour or so. As I was trying to like describe a picture to see how good it was at picking up the description to do it. Right. And I actually sent Bill, I sent you a picture in, in the pre-show chat. Yep. And you can take a look at it. It's a Spider-Man. I'm kind saying of. that with an upward inflection. Yep. Uh, except he's got a giant open mouth and a mustache on the outside of his costume, seven fingers on one hand, and a bunch of weird stuff behind him. And that actually came from using the prompt draw me an image in the style of comic artist John Byrne with no other details than that. Huh. And that's the picture that I got. It was this wackadoodle, like, wish.com Spider-Man. It was really funny. And I was practicing, like, looking to see how much more detail I could add in to see if it would alter the way that it generated an image for me. So I tried different artists and yeah. I tried different scenarios and stuff. It was really fun and very, very funny. So, so I, I would urge you to give it a shot. It's fun. Uh, recently in Facebook, this is going to be a long way around the fence to tell my my joke for this, but okay. uh, recently on Facebook chat, they have added a AI image generator. I think you have to like at meta AI yep. and then you put like uh, a backslash and then imagine and then type in what you want the image to be, and it'll it'll throw it in the chat, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But you can't get too specific. So, like, instead of saying Bing Crosby, you'd have to say, like, a 1940s crooner, and then it'll, oh. it'll come up with a better you know, you know, image. So a couple of weeks ago, I was playing Fortnite with my friend Sophia, and then yep. her friend was having problem with his microphone. And he doesn't have a pitch shifter on it. Like, he doesn't right. have a voice distorter. But for whatever reason, it was distorting his voice. And it was making it really deep and distorted. And I told him uh-huh. he sounded like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, my friend Sophia said that he sounded demonic. So he started saying things like, Bring me the Christ child. But because it was so distorted, she misunderstood him, and she thought she goes, "Did you say Christ Frog?" So I went to the AI chat, and I was trying to get it to draw a Christ Frog, and yep. it wouldn't come up with anything because, like I said, if you get too specific, it won't understand. So I finally had to settle for a frog nativity scene, and that came out pretty good. <laughs> And actually, now that I remember correctly, it wasn't frog; it was toad. Oh, <laughs> whatever. Um, that is pretty. That's pretty funny, though. Yeah. Bring me the Christ child. <laughs> There's a lot of consternation about AI and art right now. Mm-hmm. There is, as somebody who self-publishes books, there are 
people who use AI art for their book covers or internal illustrations and other things. Sure. And because they can draw on the style of literally any artist, you can tell it, draw me a picture that looks like John Berkey drew it. It'll look like a John Berkey picture, kind of. And is that the intellectual property of John Berkey, that style? If AI is doing it, is that stealing intellectual property the same way it would be if I did a picture and suggested it was done by John Berkey, even though it was me? I don't know that AI does that, but people can sort of suggest it by not attributing the style of the picture or not attributing the picture to an AI generator. So there's this weird like ground around how they get used that's been a lot of fun and interesting to sort of explore. There was just a story recently, you know, they were using New York Times articles to teach an AI how to write. And the New York Times is like, well, that's kind of our intellectual property. Right. You know, there's this weird gray area. You know, I could see both sides of the argument there. I think what this is all going to wrap around to is going back to an argument that was going on when we were teenagers is is sampling copyright infringement. Right. And it, and it kind of is, you know? And and it really is a sort of visual or, or text-based sampling now that you bring it up. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I don't work in paralegal. That's all I care about. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all right. That job's going to get outsourced to chat GPT any day now. Okay. So, uh, before we get our show started, I do have the very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Yep. All right. I'm ready. Okay. So, I remember whenever I first got to high school and met you, people were calling you lefty, even though you are not left-handed. Why were they calling you lefty, Jeff? Tell the story real quick. This is a trivia question because I know the answer to this one. Oh, okay. When I was 13, right before I started uh, high school, I had an accident that caused my right arm to be placed in a very big cast for a year. So, I had to learn how to do everything from using a lathe to drawing prints, to writing my name left-handed. I ultimately had to learn how to be, technically I've learned to be ambidextrous because eventually the cast came off and I went back to using my right hand for things like writing, but I can still write really well left-handed. I still use my left hand to mouse or to do anything that requires like fine motor skills because there's some nerve damage in my hand. But anyway, the short version is because I was in this giant plaster of Paris club attached to my arm, I did everything left-handed, and that's how I got the nickname Lefty. Okay. Did you know that only 10% of people are left-handed? I thought it would be more than that. But, yeah, only 10% of people are left-handed. However... It is some weird recessive gene, yes. However, that statistic is different for the presidents of the United States of America. Over or under, what do you think the percentage left-handed... United States presidents is? Uh, I'm going to say it's it's a percentage that's over. I think they're overrepresented in our government, in, in the presidents. All right. Well, we will we will ask you for the number when we get to the end of the show. Oh, I thought it was an over-under question. You okay. Don't, and you don't answer the question at the beginning of the show. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. 180 some odd episodes. All right. 46 presidents have all been left-handed, Bill. This is the week beginning March 4th. March 4th, yes. Jeff. Go, go forth in March, because it is your turn to start. March 4th, 1922. The very first vampire film premieres at the Zoological Gardens in Berlin. That first vampire film is Nosferatu. The first vampire film that also <laughs> sampled Bram Stoker <laughs> considerably, to the point where they were sued by Bram Stoker's estate and were told to destroy every copy of the film not long after the film premiered. Whatever the filmmaker's name was that made Nosferatu, his name escapes me at the moment. F.W. Murnau. Yeah. He wanted to make a movie version of Dracula, and Bram Stoker's estate said, "Uh, no, you can't do that. And he's like, okay, I'll just make my own vampire movie, and basically beat for beat made the story of Dracula. Yeah, he changed names. And that was right. really all that he changed. Then they changed the ending. The Bram Stoker estate was absolutely right to say, hey, now, uh, you can't sell this. Yeah. That's not okay. But by the time that that suit was settled, it had already been shipped all over the world, so copies of it were impossible to get back and destroy, which is why we still have versions of that film that are coming out year over year because they keep finding different versions, different copies of it and different versions of it from different years in different places. Right. And also why it's in public domain, uh, it could because it never could get copywritten because of the 
you know, the, the fact that there's lawsuits attached to it, I guess. Well, I mean, it's it's outlived its 80 years. In, That's in, true, too. In co- copyright. But, um, yeah, it was technically it wasn't supposed to be released, so there's no copyright protection for it anyway. I prefer Nosferatu over Universal Studios Dracula. Yeah, as do I. It's a lot tighter a story, and the visuals are more eerie and creepy. And Count Orlock is a better representation of Bram Stoker's Dracula than, as much as I like Bela Lugosi, Bela Lugosi. Yeah, I prefer that one. I think that's like my favorite vampire movie. I'm not really a vampire movie guy. And it's a silent film. The version I have has like a score on it. Actually, mm-hmm. I have like four different versions of it. Because it's public domain, people put you know right. up their own copies of it all the time. I have to go back and watch it. I watch it every Halloween. Oh, do you? Yeah, I watch it and Hacksan and Night of the Living Dead and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Huh. Busy. On Halloween weekend. No, I can't do that. all those movies at one time. I, I My brain would fall out. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, yes, you're in the, the end of September. All right. So moving on to March the 5th, 2002, MTV starts airing episodes of a reality uh, television program called The Osbournes. Ah, uh, yes, where America gets its first real long, hard look at Sharon Osborne as a person. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> it was a reality, quote-unquote, show depicting the family of the Osbournes with Ozzy, his lovely wife, Sharon, who's got a voice like an angel. <laughs> yeah, an angel with his arm caught in a meat grinder, but yes. Yeah, her voice goes through me like strained peaches through a baby. Goodness. And then two of his kids... What was it, Zach? Was the boy Zach Osborne and the daughter Kelly Osborne? And there's another daughter, Amy, who wanted nothing to do with this show. She was like, no, 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 no. So they treated the show like Ozzy only has two kids, but actually has three. I think it worked out better for him, for for her that way. Well, you can make an argument. I mean, both Zach and Kelly. Didn't Kelly have her own talk show for a bit? She did, yeah, and Zach was, he's in the music industry doing something. I don't know if he's producing, but I think that's what he's doing. Right. Which is, which is, I mean, they did well, but I mean, they've had their struggles with the sort of trappings of fame, especially that came on because of the show with some substance problems and other things that are not unexpected. Oh, I was about Osborne to say, I mean, when both of your parents are <laughs> batshit crazy, you know, how far was the apple going to fall from the tree? Yeah, I mean, if your dad has a, a vivid memory of snorting ants, right? You know what? The the kids are gonna they're gonna need to talk to some people. I'm looking at a picture people. of Amy right now, and she's lovely. I, I'm, I, sure I think she, this, I'm sure she's a wonderful person. Uh, this is my first time seeing her. She's a very very pretty girl. She is currently 40 years old. Good for her. Aha! Uh-huh. Did you have any favorite uh, favorite moments on the Osborne show? I have two. And okay. I only watched the first season, so, you know, bear with me. But one is where, and it's the most dad thing ever, yep. is Ozzy has to take out the trash. And he's already, like, shaking and yeah. not moving around very fast. And he goes into the kitchen. And they must have, like, four trash bags built into their counter. And everyone he opens is full. Yep. They're all full. And he's like, fucking trash. And he starts trying to tie him up and take him out and then get a trash bag open to put back in so he can put his trash in there. And it's like a five-minute thing. Yep. And I think about that a lot because I'm a dad who has had to deal with that kind of stuff. Like, I'm the only one who can train, who can, like, take out the trash in his whole house. Yep. And I've I've sort of lived that here and there. So there's that one. And then there's the one where they go to war with their neighbors. And at one point, Zach throws a ham over the fence. Yep. And they cut to Sharon Osborne talking about the previous neighbor who lived in that house who they really liked. And it was Pat Boone, which yeah. I thought was hilarious. He was lovely. <laughs> so my two favorite moments from that show, Ozzy, in typical Ozzy fashion. I'm going to assume he was talking about Kelly. And he yeah. says, oh, my... My daughter said, Daddy, my friends are coming over. Could you please watch your language when they're here? And I said, well, what the f*** am I supposed to say then? Which I thought was hilarious. And then the other favorite moment was at the very last episode of the very of the end of the last season, like the very last thing, where they're showing all kinds of bloopers and yep. the director saying, okay, Ozzy, I want you to do this. Okay, Zach, I want you to say that. Basically... Right. 
pulling the curtain away from the uh, great and powerful laws and showing that the entire thing was staged. It was, it was a reality all staged, show at yeah. All, yeah. I mean, that's got to cause some issues, too. I know finding yourself in, like, the equivalent of, like, the Milli Vanilli of TV. Right. That's got to be rough. Anyway, well, the show ran for a few seasons, at least, and it did bring some laughs even before that, so. Everybody was talking about it, too, so. It was. All right, moving on to March the 6th. This is our first celebrity birthday, Bill. Yep. Are you a basketball fan? I do not watch sports. You do not watch any sports. I watch basketball if I'm in a hotel. That's the only time I watch basketball because it's just enough movement to keep my brain from shutting off at 7 o'clock and I don't want to be asleep at 7. Yeah. Well, our celebrity birthday, born in 1972, is basketball superstar Shaquille O'Neal. You know, he has been in popular culture for so long doing like endorsements and stuff like that. You know, Mm -hmm. for a split second, I forgot that he played basketball. (laughs) <laughs> definitely his celebrity seems to have overshadowed his court skills but he was like a three-time M- mvp uh-huh. and he was part of the uh olympic dream team that went and just humiliated all the countries in the world back in 1996 yep and it's still someone who shows up on tv not just for sports commentary either but for other stuff no, he's endorsing, like, Gold Bond medicated powder, which, let me tell you, that commercial used to disturb me. Because he's over there going, a little shake, a little tingle, a little shake, a little tingle. It's like, all right, I know you're not coming right out and saying it, but you're talking about your balls, aren't you, Shaq? <laughs> and then he makes this, like, little shoulder, this little shoulder shake and, like, wiggles his eyebrows at the camera. And it's like... Stop right. it! Stop! Ta- I don't want to know about your balls, Shaq! <laughs> and then the other thing, too, was... You've been to Universal Studios, yeah? I went to Universal Studios Florida. Okay, yes. yeah. I don't know if it still exists, but for the longest time, they had the Terminator 2. It wasn't really a ride. It was more like something you watched. Was that there? No, that was already gone okay. by the time I was there. So... At the beginning, there was like a little like presentation about showing about how awesome Skynet is and this, that, and the other. And they put this like contact lens into Shaquille O'Neal, and then it shows him nailing a free throw. And everybody, yep. except for me, laughed at that because I didn't get it. But I assumed the joke was that Shaquille O'Neal was just horrible at doing free throws. I, I guess. Yeah, I don't I, get it. I don't get it either. That if was you, a reference. If you watch basketball, and, and enjoy the laugh, guys. I didn't get it. But yes. Well, it's not like he's playing anymore, so you can't watch him miss free throws now. You'd have to go hunt on YouTube to find him. Yep. The guy is literally probably like Guinness Book of World Records most endorsed person. Like the guy has pitched everything I can think of, not just his balls. And then he bought like Papa John's pizza or a big steaks in it. And he, you know, I mean, he's also, he does all the commercials and stuff like that. But he's like, yeah, very heavily invested in it. So I guess as far as stocks go, he's like part owner. Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, You know, then he doesn't have to rely on, I guess, on his, on selling his likeness and other stuff to have a good post-basketball living. That's a good thing. Those balls ain't going to last forever, you know. Yes. I wonder if, uh, if you get a free pizza, if you can beat him in a free throw contest. Ooh. That'd be because you know what I'm. I'm not good at basketball, but I can I can do free throws. I I can do neither, but that's okay. I'm not really a big fan of Papa John's anyway. Keep your pizza. <laughs> All right, Fair moving enough. on to March the seventh, eighteen seventy six. That's a spirit. Alexander Graham Bell receives his patent for the telephone. Oh, yeah. Same the same year he demonstrated that it would work. That's good to know. Oh yeah. He was like, hey, uh, i got to get on this before somebody comes along and steals it. I guess the uh, the Edison-Tesla event was going on around the same time. Uh, a little bit. Yep. I think uh, Westinghouse came a little bit later, and that was that was who funded Edison. But Alexander Graham Bell's phone service, the, the Bell service, named for Alexander Graham Bell, was the first real natural monopoly that was allowed to stand. It didn't get trust busted at the beginning of the 20th century because you don't want 500 companies all stringing 500 telephone poles with 500 wires 
each one going to different houses and problems with interconnecting equipment from one company to another. So having something that was recognized as being a really necessary service was something that the government allowed to pretty much control the entire market until the 1980s. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I forgot all about that because, I mean, we've lived with cell phones as the primary means of communication for like uh probably 15 years i mean they've been long they've been around longer than 15 years but as far as like yes. being the standard probably like 15 years for cell phones but i forgot about that during the 70s and before that but i mean i wasn't alive before that but during mm-hmm. the 70s you didn't you couldn't own a telephone you like Correct. rented the telephone from the phone company you- you did. There used to be a place called the telephone. The, it was called the telephone store. And yep. It was where you could go and pay your phone bill, and you could also lease a new telephone. And you had to have a, a craft person come out and install it for you because they didn't have plug-in RJ45 connectors. Then that phone you paid, you know, seven dollars a month for or something for the entire time that you used it, and it was tied to your phone number. What happened was a company named Matsushita wanted to sell fax machines in the United States. Yeah. And Bell said no, because they were developing their own fax machine technology at Bell Labs. But their argument was that it would damage the network. They were afraid that another company's equipment might damage the network because of they don't have quality control over it and they can't measure the voltages and all that sort of jazz. And the judge, Judge Green, said, yeah, that's not true. <laughs> and ha- forced them to open their network up and then through that same lawsuit forced them to open up their long distance monopoly to other carriers who would lease space on their existing infrastructure i can talk about this in excruciating detail and i don't mean to uh the other thing i'd like to say is i always thought it was a little on the nose that his last name was bell and the phone had a bell in it that would ring to let you know that somebody was calling you and I always thought it was, like, for the best that his name wasn't, like, Gong or Kazoo. <laughs> bagpipe. Yeah. Could have been bagpipes, Jeff. Could have been much different. Could have been a... <laughs> Alexander, <laughs> Graham's, Ale- Alexander Graham's sousaphone. <laughs> Alexander Graham McClacken. <laughs> McClacken bagpipes. What was that so. other word we used before? Carillion? Yeah. Which yes. is spells. Right. Anyway. Uh, moving on to the 8th. March 8th, 1993, the TV show Beavis and Butthead first appears on MTV and becomes an overnight sensation. Although it wasn't really an overnight sensation in that the show already had fans by the time Beavis and Butthead premiered. Right. Because it had been a series of shorts that were intermingled on. MTV had a couple of animation shows that were like ensemble shows. And I can't remember if it was Liquid Television or one of the other ones. I'm pretty sure it was Liquid Television. That had the Beavis and Butthead cartoons on them, and the other the the Milton cartoons that this that Mike Judge also did. Yeah. Uh, but of those, it's the Beavis and Butthead ones that really took off because they they adapted best to the station that was producing it. They were way more MTV centric. They wouldn't have been able to air on other, on other networks. You know what's uh, what? Like I remember about that time, especially with the liquid television stuff, is my brother's sense of humor and my sense of humor. There's, there's an overlap in the Venn diagram, but I'm more likely to laugh at, well, let me put it this way. Norman is less likely to laugh at stuff like Jackass. Yeah. He doesn't find that funny. I do. I'm with your brother on that one. Yeah. But like Beavis and Butthead wasn't really something that I would expect my brother to laugh at. But I remember the first time he saw the short on Liquid Television frog baseball he actually asked me if i had seen it because he thought it was so funny <laughs> so yeah i didn't expect him to be a beavis about it fan but i i think he was i, I think he there was uh, a, he tend to watch it there was a time when that show was my father's favorite tv show and when the film came out beavis and butthead do america i took him to see it really and yeah he he absolutely he absolutely loved it and it was a really fun experience to go and to go and see that with him because I didn't realize he was watching the show. Uh-huh. Because he would come home late, late, and they used to show MTV used to was already at the stage by like ninety three when they, if they showed something at seven o'clock at night, you'd see it again at two in the morning, maybe. Yeah. If it was one of their regular programs, so my dad would always come home late, late from the restaurant and put the TV on and lay on the couch. 
Right. And doze in and out for the whole night. And I found out he was watching Beavis and Butthead like late, late at night. That's so weird. And, uh, and he thought the show was really, really, really funny. So I took him to see the film, and it was a really good time to take him there. Do you have a particular favorite like segment or episode of that show? Because okay. I have one. So two things. One, I it, they used to intersperse music videos. Yes. So they would be like the cartoons, and then Beavis and Butthead would be like sitting on the couch and watching music videos and making fun of you know the artists, right? Yeah, you know, or going on about them if they were somebody like Metallica or something like that. So yep. the two of them that stick out in my head the most is one they were watching a video by a band called the Europeans. Now, who the hell are the Europeans? Right. It was a weird, weird video. They're all in white, in a white background with a white piano, and they're all wearing like white masks, not un- not unlike the Phantom and the Opera. And the right. video was just completely bizarre and weird. And the reason why I even know who the Europeans are is because the keyboard player for the Europeans was Steve Hogarth, who went on to be the singer for Marillion. Ah, okay. And the video is so bizarre, and the song is so weird that Beavis and Butthead don't say a word. (laughs) It just shows them and their faces are just like frozen in shock. And they'll like look at each other. Neither one of them says anything. And then they just change the channel. That I thought was hilarious. And the other one was they were watching the video for Faith No More's Epic. Mm -hmm. And in the video, there's an open hand, like a human hand, with an yep. eyeball in the middle of it. Yes. And Beavis was thinking how cool it would be to have an eye on your hand. That way you could like reach around the corner and see what's going on. And right. Butthead starts laughing. And he goes, <laughs> you said reach around. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is, it's a, was a... As the show went on, it became more like a TV show without the music video components. Yep. And there would be like a plot through line with some... It would still have the video components in there, but they were not the majority of the show anymore. Right. Butthead started to choke on a chicken nugget. (laughs) And Beavis called 911 to try and get him help because he was choking to death on the floor. And they said, can't you do the Heimlich maneuver? And he goes, I don't know how to do the Heimlich maneuver. And they say, it's on every single sign in every restaurant. And he says... Okay, thank you. Drive through because he worked at a. They both worked at a fast food restaurant, so he hangs up the phone and he walks all the way restaurant where they work to look at the sign, and then he he comes. At, it takes the whole episode for him to get there, and then he goes ah ah ah, and he takes the sign off the wall and he brings it back. And as he's coming back in the house, he steps on Beavis's chest and like he spits out the chicken nugget. Yeah. And then he shows him the sign, and the sign that he brought back is "Employees must wash hands before returning to the kitchen." <laughs> it was it was hilariously funny. It was I'm still I like I think about that comic uh, that cartoon surprisingly often because that was such a funny funny one. And that's so funny too because here we are, 31 years on, and. You know, Generation X is still, and probably like uh, elder millennials too, are still going to be like, if you say a word that has like a double entendre, somebody's going to go, huh, huh. <laughs> they're just going to throw the <laughs> Beavis and Butthead laugh in there. Yes. My, my yeah, friend yeah. Jim and I still do that. Well, that show had some surprising longevity too. Mike Judge, who did all the animation and all of the voice work for that first season, and I don't know if he did all the animation for the first season, but he did all the shorts and... Yeah. I think uh, the most of the first like three episodes of that show went on to direct the film that became a cult classic, Office Space. Yep. And he went on to direct another film that became a cult classic, Idiocracy. Uh-huh. And he is the he created the character of Hank Hill, who first appeared, at least in the most nascent of of senses, at, as a character in Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, he, he was, was the, the neighbor door, that yeah the next door the next neighbor. neighbor. What the hell? Yeah. yeah. Are you jerking off in my uh, my motorhome again? <laughs> like that that's that's pretty much Hank Hill. And I think King of the Hill is still on. That show's been on for like thirty years now or something. Yeah, it started at the same time as South Park. All right. All right. Uh moving on to March the ninth, nineteen sixty one. We have another celebrity birthday, and this is gonna be a part where Jeff goes, Who? And uh, yeah. and I go, That's who, because he's a professional wrestler. Rick 
Steiner. Oh. Who was... One of the uh, famous Steiners. Yeah, the Steiner like. brothers. Yes, they were uh, a tag team. It was Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner went on to become a much bigger star than Rick did. Rick got out of the business fairly early. But they were a tag team in the 80s. In the WCW, but at the time it was like the NWA. They had changed names and all that. Okay. Outside of the WWF at the time, uh, you know, the Steiners were like one of the biggest tag teams outside of the WWF. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Rick Steiner actually, uh, like I said, he got out of the business, but his uh, son is wrestling now. His name is Braun Breaker. As of this recording, he was in the minor league of the WWE NXT. Yeah. And he was their champion for a little while. And watch how delicately I put this. Uh, Okay. Because of certain allegations, Brock Lesnar wasn't going to make it to the Royal Rumble, but they already had all of his stuff laid out for him to do at the Royal Rumble. And Braun Breaker stepped in and took the place of Brock Lesnar. That's a big pair of shoes to walk into, you know. Brock Lesnar is definitely yeah is a big superstar, and he's also notorious for just like throwing people around. Braun Breaker, son of Rick Steiner, filled those shoes nicely, and that guy's going to be a big star. Give him time; he will outdo both his father and his uncle. All right. Well, uh. You know, I'll I'll keep my eye out for him. Yeah, watch this space, Braun Breaker. All right, let's wrap up the week. Uh, March tenth, eighteen sixty-two, the U.S. government issues its first paper money, in the form of five dollar, ten dollar, twenty dollar, fifty dollar, hundred dollar, five hundred dollar, and thousand dollar bills, which is cool. I don't know what they used before bills. I must have been coins. I, yeah, I, I would imagine. It surprises me that the denominations went up that high. What was the year on that? 1862, right after the start of the Civil War. Oh, all right. I have some coins, like some old coins. I have a $5 coin from, yep. I don't remember the date, but it's it's pre-Civil War. And that's just like a weird thing. Just like, like you hold the coin in your hand and you think to yourself, this is currency that people bought people with. That's so weird. Yeah. So, but moving on to paper money, I guess they had to find the right way to produce it because it's not really paper. It's it's more like a cloth. Yes. The way it's woven, yeah. Well, it is It is now. I'm saying paper with quotes, but the material that it's made out of now is can only be made like in one place. Yeah. And it, it's like rigidly protected so that people can't counterfeit it. And I mean, paper money's gone a long way. long way since 1862 now there's strips and other things that are in there that prevent people from making copies you can try to photocopy a dollar bill in your home printer and it won't work right because it'll tell you like i can't print this (laughs) it's funny because like i can't remember the last time i used cash on purpose oh my god i've used my cards for everything yeah, I used to make that joke up until fairly recently because the joke doesn't land anymore. But I was saying, you know, up until like last year that I have had the same $35 in my wallet since the start of the pandemic. <laughs> you know, during the pandemic, one, there was that weird coin shortage, which still doesn't make any sense to me. And two, right. yeah, everybody stopped using paper money for a lot of things. Just simply because, you know, they we didn't know how the virus was going to work. and Right. A lot of places weren't accepting paper money at that time, too, because of that. Now, it's just the opposite. I just heard a story on the news where there's been, like, certain places like restaurants and stuff that are offering discounts to people to use cash rather than use credit cards. They're trying to bring cash, like, back. I'm going to guess that that's because there's some sort of there's probably some percentage processing fee that they have to pay on every transaction based on what cards are being read. Yes, that's part of it. Like my mechanic, for example, if you pay with cash or you pay with check, he gives you one price. But if you use a credit card, it gives you another price because he has to pay a processing fee on every transaction. Uh, so okay. he literally loses money whenever you use your credit card. Right. But the other thing too is one, they get to keep more of their money if you they use cash, which I guess it all comes out in the wash because if you lose 5% and then you give a 5% discount, whatever. But 
they're actually doing it. It's almost as like a gimmick to attract people to come in. They're like, oh, I can get right. a meal for 10% off if I use cash. Well, right. I'll, I'll go grab 20 bucks out of the ATM and go get myself a nice meal. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I can't imagine living without the convenience of, of using my my cards, though. And, and around here, at least, if you use a debit as a payment, even places where they have two different prices. So, like, a, we have one gas station in town where cash and credit are different prices. Uh-huh. If you use your debit card, not your credit card, to buy yep. gas, it assumes it's cash. Oh, right. It treats it like cash. So, there's no. I don't think there's a processing fee for that because you're going straight to the bank and it's not going... Guess through Visa. Yeah, it's kind of like right there's no check, other right? stuff. A standard ATM card is different in that it's more cash-like. Again, I love using it. I think it's fantastic and super convenient. Yeah, I'm a big fan too, especially because I use Discover Card and I get so much cash back bonus. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, before we get to the uh, worst song ever this week, we have our weird holiday, which is also on March the 10th. It is Middle Name Pride Day. Middle Name Pride Day. Yeah. Do you have a middle name? That's a thing? Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yes, I, got I, this, have a, I have a middle name. Yeah. I got this website that I go to that I get all the weird holidays from. And yes. like every day has like six or seven things. So yeah, right. of, of course you get a second weird things like Middle Name Pride Day. I guess uh, Ear Flap Hat Day was taken. Yeah. See, my mother's name was Adrian. Right, and Adrian. Exactly. Sorry, I had, to, had to do it. And I remember going through, like, I was looking for some paperwork, and she was still alive at the time. And I was looking through some paperwork, and I actually found her birth certificate. Right. I looked at it, and it's it, it said Mary was the first name, but that's like mm-hmm. an old Catholic tradition. Yeah, that's an old Catholic. Right. All right. the girls are named Mary, but right. they go by their middle name. But. My mother's birth certificate said Mary Irene Adrian and then her last name, right? Yep. And I looked at my mother like in shock. I was like, wait, your middle name is Adrian and your first name is Irene? And she gave me the dirtiest look like I had just like slapped her in the <laughs> face or something. She goes, she goes, you had to remind me, didn't you? Yeah. My mother went <laughs> by her middle name. Her first name right. was Irene, but she always went by Adrian. Strange. Yeah. I had an aunt who did that. I can't remember her full name, but she went by her middle name instead, which huh. was Dot Dorothy. And my- she may very well have been a Mary, just like my, I'm pretty sure my grandmother on my mother's side might have been a Mary too. Well, right. Um, with, you know, her middle name was for Christ's sakes. <laughs> I gave my kids both two middle names because that's how I roll. <laughs> so they're not really middles, so to speak, but yeah. So it makes filling out forms interesting. Yep. My middle name is Antonio, which you would think coming from a predominantly, or predominantly, exclusively French family, Antonio is not such a French name. It's either Italian or Portuguese or something like that. But that's, the most, that's the most Italian name Short of being called Mr. Spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> but my grandfather, who I'm, who that is named after, my grandfather, Antonio, was the youngest of 12. So I think they just ran out of names by that point. <laughs> yeah, at that point. I'm All right. the phone book open. Yeah. Uh, find me something in the S's. All right, hold on. Uh, Stanley? No. Uh, Spaghetti. Close <laughs> enough. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, new episodes of Twibbly come out every Monday, but this week we're discussing another day of the week, young Jeff. The worst song ever. Hey, Jeff, what day is it today? <laughs> it's the day we record, and I'm not saying it. I'm not saying Friday, Friday, Friday. Fun, fun, fun. Um, um, we record, uh, let's peek behind the curtain, guys. We record on Thursdays. So Thursday, today is not Friday. Yes. But our Nobody song... writes good songs about Thursdays. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> Never could get the hang of Thursdays. Uh, so this week's worst song ever is notoriously one of the worst songs ever. This is Friday by Rebecca Black. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's 
song is world famous for being bad but yes whenever we did our research this week looking up this song uh, don't get me wrong this song is still unbelievably bad and, and almost completely unlistenable but yes. rebecca black has a very very interesting story rebecca black is a california teen imagine she's 13 years old and she and her mother decide to spend four thousand dollars to have a song and music video made starring her. So Rebecca Black, you know, she was always interested in singing. Like her mother had her doing performances like starting at like three years old. And, oh, okay. And she went to a private school. I believe it was a religious school. She went to a private school and she was, ironically enough, getting, you know, bullied and picked on. So her parents took her out of that and put her in a public school. and. Right. That she got involved in more of the performing arts at the public school, singing and being in the different, uh, you know, plays and performances and stuff like that. Yep. As she, you know, where does a a performer go? The market to get into performing is really, really difficult. And you have to find a way in that is some sort of unusual thing. And this is right about when YouTube is becoming really popular. Mm -hmm. So she, her mother, pays uh, ARC entertainment i think that's their name to produce a song and a music video starring her daughter so they write this song it's written by two people it's called friday you can read the lyrics it's terrible and she records it she has a perfectly normal nice voice for a 13 year old girl and the song goes out onto youtube they shot a video the video is very sort of standard but it looks like anything that was made at the end of the 1990s or so yeah it's her and a bunch of her friends from the school and her voice isn't that great, but they did all the like the auto tune tricks to yeah. it and stuff like that. So it yep. sounds very processed. It sounds like we would describe it if it came out today as this was clearly written by artificial intelligence, <laughs> but it wasn't. It was written by two people who apparently share a brain because it wasn't that good. That good. No. Um. the f- The first week it was on YouTube, it got like a thousand views, and the next week it had five million. Because right. it became this r- hardcore running gag about the worst song, the worst, the worst song ever. Well, um, what had happened was is Daniel Tosh had a popular show on Comedy Central at the time called Tosh.0. And right. not only did he have the show, but he also had a popular blog whenever blogs were a thing. Mm-hmm. And he had found this video, or at least some of the people that work for him had found this video, and they had posted it up on the blog. And like... Overnight, she, I think in the course of like two days, she got two million views off of that blog. blog. Like, her friends are like texting her and they're like, yo, I just saw your video like on the news (laughs) and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, poor thing. Yeah. She became the butt of jokes. And it's a shame that it was associated with her specifically and not with the ARC Entertainment, the company that sort of produced the song although they were also kind of caught up in it at the time oh right it really stuck to her for and for a 13 year old kid that's a that's a ton of stuff to stick on a 13 year old yeah the song was written by uh two guys one of them is named patrice wilson who you only have to do a little bit of research on the guy and third rail creepy dude right yeah but he's the guy that wrote the song in probably, you know, the better part of half an hour. Like, he probably wrote it while he was waiting for food in the drive-thru. And if you watch the music video, he's the one that's, like, in the car doing, like, the rap section. That's Patrice Wilson. So right. he's the one that wrote the song. He should be taking all of the the hits for this, all the, the backlash, because the song, Rebecca Black, has almost nothing to do with it other than the fact that she was a 13-year-old girl whose mother happened to have $4,000 lying around the house. Right. They made this music video, which was basically to be used as a resume to get yep. her other stuff. Yeah, and it, was a, it, was, it was essentially like a headshot. Yeah, right. 
Exactly. And not that it's gotten any better, but in the early days of YouTube comment section, who I will always give her credit for this joke because it's brilliant. Uh, former Twibbly co-host Jezebel Grace once referred to the YouTube comment section as the Moss Eisley spaceport of the internet. <laughs> so the comment section was just like unbelievable. Just people like barraging her with insults. I've watched a number of interviews with Rebecca Black. Now, Rebecca Black is like 25, 26 years old now. And right. I'll tell you, that girl has got her shit together even at 13 you know they had her on different talk shows and stuff like that i think it was jay leno you know it asked her he's like uh you know did the, you know all the mean comments upset you she's like yeah i cried but i'm 13 years old i'm supposed to cry huh. i i like that ultimately the the end part of this story is that it's given her a career in the recording industry now she she tours, she's got an album that's just come out, and sort of embraced it. In an interview that I watched her doing on Australian TV, she says, oh, whenever I do Friday, that's the song that brings the house down. And has sort of embraced what it's become. One of the things I like is that during all of that early stuff, like folks like Katy Perry realized how bad this could be for her and embraced the song and started to bring her out on stage to sing it and helped to sort of... I don't know if it was altruism, but to show her that, hey, you know, terrible situation that you find yourself in, it's really not that bad here, you know, yeah. here's Lady an opportunity Gaga. for you. Lady Gaga stood up for her. I saw a piece with Lady Gaga, and she said, Rebecca Black is a genius, and all the haters can f*** off. <laughs> Ultimately, the song is, we should probably talk about the song a little bit, um, rather than just the impact of it, but... It is a very standard pop song as if it was written by two people who were paid $50 to write a pop song and have never written one before. Who were paid $4,000 and like and had like $3,900 profit, right? Right. Yeah, it's a bad song, but I admire Rebecca Black a lot for just being a trooper through the whole thing. She handled it way better. She actually used to go through, she said... I used to go through the comment section trying to pick out my favorite, like which one I thought was the meanest. And yeah, yeah, imagine that. You know, it's like she would do it on purpose. Like she thought it was funny to an extent. She's like, yeah, it hurt at first, but after a while, it's like, okay, you know, yeah, let's see what these people. Desensitized to it. Yeah. Yeah. The worst one she said was. I hope you get an eating disorder so you look better. Jesus, dude. <laughs> that's, that's, that's definitely rough. Yeah. There's a whole segment uh, in the entertainment economy that caters to people who want to sort of do things on their own. Yep. Start their own. It could be a podcast, but make your own song like, like this one or your own music yep. video, whatever. And it's the same sort of, I'm not going to call all of it predatory. There's a ton of it that's predatory. To just to separate people from money and give them effectively yep. nothing. As someone who's a writer, I run into this stuff all the time. So there are tons oh, of really? there are tons of publishers who are, I'm saying publishers with air quotes, that will happily take thousands of your dollars and produce for you a book that you could produce on your own for hundreds of minutes, uh, as opposed <laughs> to thousands of dollars, and they advertise and they operate like and they have the facade of a publishing company but they're not they're a printer and everything they tell you about editing and marketing and other stuff you have to pay for and it doesn't really exist it seems like arc entertainment was that kind of place except a music video came out of it a song as terrible as it was came out of it and Mm -hmm. for that four thousand dollars they at least had an end product that was something they could put on youtube Yep. That $4,000 was a hell of an investment because she's 26 years old and she lives very well. So good for her. Yeah. Hey, man, she's touring. So, yep. Hey, that's great. And I've listened to some of her more recent, like I listened to the most recent album. And if you told me that that was Poppy, you know, the music artist Poppy. Yes. If you told me it was a Poppy song, I'd believe you. And I like Poppy. So. I guess the Rebecca Black stuff was fine. Yeah. I wonder if Rebecca Black 
which is that's actually a hard name to say. I wonder if Rebecca Black. I wonder if she's left-handed. Jeff, <laughs> well, it's I thought time I for kidding. the very popular and always well-received trivia question. Jeff, approximately 10% of human beings are left-handed. However, the presidents of the United States are a different demographic. What percentage of the United States, I'll, I'll tell you, you were right, it is over 10%. What percentage of the presidents of the United States are left-handed? All right. I'm going to give you a round number. And if you tell me I'm wrong because it's not like 42.076%. I'll give you I'm plus or scream. minus 2% points. All right. How's that? Fair enough. I'm going to say it's 40%. Jesus Christ. No. <laughs> no. Uh, it is 17%. Okay. Eight, eight presidents of the uh, 40, currently 46 Yes. Eight of the 46 presidents in the United States have been left-handed. However, in the last 50 years, over 50% have been. So, and, and so in the last 50 years, you got Ford. Ford was left-handed. Reagan was left-handed. George H.W. Bush was left-handed. Bill Clinton was left-handed. So that means we had three presidents in a row that were left-handed. That explains a lot, Bill. Yep. And then Barack Obama was left-handed as well. So, yeah, in the last 50 years, more than 50%, uh, five out of nine presidents were left-handed. Crazy. Well, see that? You learn something new every single day. Wow, that was the most generic thing you could possibly say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something a left-handed person would say. I'm, I'm going to put that out there, as right. generic as they get. All right, uh, but that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you guys back here in seven days. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special shout-out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, or this week was way better than last year. You can find us or message us over on Facebook or Instagram or the hot new social media app that I just made up called SPAC Group. That's group with two O's and two P's. by looking for Twibbly. Subscribe to the podcast. That way you can guess where and how many times Bill had to edit out the phrase, well, there you go, from Jeff's audio track before publication.